This is the 212 Podcast, where we talk to different people in the arts, entertainment and events industry. Our guest on the podcast this week is one half of a dynamic duo, fashion-forward pioneering artists who have the enviable trait of being able to cover Wait and Bleed by Slipknot or Tyrone by Erica Badu, and you would still know exactly who they are. They are that unique. Please welcome Monty Morgan from Client Liaison. How are you and where are you today, Monty? Hey, Daniel. I'm at my home in Fitzroy North in Melbourne, and I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We always start the episode going back about how you got into music. And I wondered, where did you grow up and how did music influence your life? I grew up in Melbourne and always had a passion for music. Kind of my earliest, fondest memories of music were long car trips with my family, listening to Simon and Garfunkel, um, that kind of music, Fleetwood Mac. And I loved performing so I'd um, often perform with my friends to our parents you know at the end of a dinner we'd put together plays or like little skits and that kind of thing and so then I performed at school and I'd sing at school and it always was just for fun but yeah it wasn't until I wasn't until I fell in love with Prince and I started following Prince around and getting heavily into his music and funk music in general, that I considered making music. And then one day I went to a friend's house, a friend called Lockie Bradfield had a 16-track recorder and a bunch of instruments, and he played lots of instruments, and he showed me how to record things and layer them up that I went, oh, wow, this is really fun. I want to do this all the time. So the style of music that you're playing now is what you were almost listening to growing up. Well, yeah, I've, I've always been into old music. I, I, you know, I believe in the like the weekly section of your video store, not the new releases. Um, I had that perspective of looking back on things and seeing what really, really clicks and is really next level. But yeah, um, uh, like I like a variety of music, but soul and funk and world music is you know a particular a particular interest to me harvey got me into dance music harvey grew up listening to uh current local bands like cut copy and midnight juggernauts that's when he was coming out of school and he would go and visit bands and you know dj and he was like around the scene of music and i was completely isolated so it was like a nice coming together that he could tap into the zeitgeist and i was into my own thing and then we kind of shared we found a shared belief in kind of late 80s early 90s music that was where our interests collided and did your you know when you said to your parents that you kind of or when you found music or whenever people find it did your did your parents could they aspire to you to want to do like the common thing of like being a doctor or a lawyer did they kind of put you off of getting into music Oh, they were always very supportive. Um, I think when I said I want to make music and I want to make film, they always thought I should have a backup. They didn't have that much faith because I wanted to be an actor for quite a while, actually, because I was doing a lot of theatre at school. But um, they were always supportive. But, yeah, like you don't really know the path. You don't know how to get there. You just know what you're into, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, and I've just seen that we've got Harvey is on the on the call as well. Hey, Harvey. Good evening. 
Awesome. Well, um, Harvey, I guess on on that, you were, we were talking about bringing your friends along and 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 Monty was just saying about how, you know, you got him into into dance music as as well. And I wondered, well, I wondered kind of when you hear about some, uh, well, mainly, I guess I'm thinking of like hip hop artists where they kind of brought their friends who played music up with them and they kind of uh, were able to bring them along that musical journey. Is that the same for you? Did you did you have a big crew of you growing up that you you brought along the journey to, I guess, where you are now? Uh, yes, in terms of like my brother plays in the band, so he was always you know by proxy. He's just sort of there, so that's definitely that factor. I have some other friends who are also musicians who went to LA at a young age and started writing and producing and had some success writing for some pop stars over there like Robbie Williams. So that helped normalise the fact that, you know, you can have a career in music. A couple of school friends who I was actually, yeah, from primary school. So that was quite neat, having friends in the business as well. In terms of like the idea of bringing people with us, I think it would be true that to say that that was, sorry, that was most true to be said of probably the film industry because we're very, uh, video clip heavy and particularly was so when we started out a lot of our friends who were just in the film game uh yeah we would work a lot with them and then their friends and people would crew on our clips and it was just all uh equally with music uh with the visual component we we sort of had a posse of people we've kind of grew up with doing that and- kind of and how hard is it to, I mean, I know that they, they always say it's kind of one of the hardest industries to even break into. Like how how hard is it to, to, to get to the level that you, you guys are at at the moment? Uh, it was always one foot in front of the other. So it wasn't like we had a, you know, drastic, like a hit blew up out of nowhere. Um, I mean, for us, it was started with live shows and it was just, it was just standing out, like looking at, the kind of shows that were out there and going, oh, we can easily beat that, you know, let's bring our own smoke machine, you know, like, oh, how are we going to make our song better? Like this can be better than everyone else's. So it didn't seem hard. It was just like we just put, you know, put our passion into it really, just trying to stand out. What do you think the main ingredients are to, to have like a big career as an artist? Is it is it grit or luck? I think... I mean, you look, you could do a mathematical breakdown and say, well, if you write a bunch of songs, you know, you could probably hit one on the head. But um, what's the what's the magical ingredient? Uh, look, all I'd say is that when you if you start when you're young, it's easier because you're with your friends who want to go out and you're involved in communities and uh, more sort of nightlife culture. Like, you know, it's I think it's easier to be to into culture, into the music industry as a young artist rather than, you know, a 45-year-old or 50-year-old artist simply because, you know, if you go out to the nightlife and the spaces and sort of pop culture tends to be driven by those younger demographics, that's probably no surprise. So I think just when you're young, you can try things. Like if you're young, you can be in five different bands and four of them can suck and then you finally get one that is good, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's like what they say about like investment and stuff. It's like you can... You can lose as much money as you want before you're 30. So as long as after that, <laughs> together you're fine. So I think, um, yeah, being young is and starting out is very helpful 
because you, yeah, your friends are all going out. Like, God, getting friends down to a show now. I mean, unless they're getting the backstage VIP treatment, you know, they're not going to be sweating it out buying beers and rubbing shoulders with everyone. They're like, yeah. <laughs> been accustomed to a certain lifestyle now that you've yeah, given them. Yeah. I think it's where when you start when you're younger, it's much easier. But um and Monty, like I know you and I have spoken about this previously when we met a few years back. But I, I you know, when I first came to Australia, I, I didn't know who Cold Chisel were. I know it's sacrilege uh, now, I know that, but I've just found so much music different music here as well that probably wasn't known. I guess in the UK or 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 any of the other European countries, and I wondered how hard it is to branch out from Australia as well. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because you know I I grew up not listening to that much Australian music, and Harvey has a real passion for it, and he introduced me to a lot of amazing Australian artists, especially from the eighties and nineties. But um, you know we are quite isolated, and yeah, I mean we've we've. We don't have much of an audience overseas. I mean, we've played in Europe a few times and played in the States and we have a very passionate audience um, And that when they come along to shows. So we're probably not the right people to ask that question. I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's from generally what I understand, either you have a song that just breaks through and it just crosses through all territories or you just put in the work and you play shows and you just keep releasing music and, you know, we've got friends that, had a number one hit song in Eastern Europe, you know, out of nowhere. You never know what will happen. But if you keep putting in the work and keep turning up and doing shows, then you can develop a following anywhere, I think. And, Harvey, I know that obviously you are a unique band in more ways than one. And do people compare you to anyone? And do you think there are any kind of fair comparisons that you get that you kind of just you, you get and then some of them you're like, I don't really understand that? I think that only on the Pet Shop Boys, you know, that made sense, you know. But not particularly. I mean, you know, uh, we've ne- no, we've never felt misrepresented. I mean, it's just sometimes, you know, people say the sort of 80s uh, rubber stamp feels a bit one-dimensional because, you know, there's it's kind of like when people put fluoro on and say 80s and it's just reduced. It's very <laughs> They reduce the whole decade to sort of fluoro when, you know, arguably fluoro was more early 90s, you know, you want to be precise. But furthermore, it's just to reduce the whole decade to sort of a few elements and, you know, big hair uh, and fluoro colours. And it's like, oh, God, there's so much more nuance and sophistication to um, that point in time. And I just, that would probably say um, be our most, mislabeled or misrepresented or reductive sort of moment but it's not much of a um a big one that troubles us you know and you don't mind the labels no it's good it helps people communicate the idea like you know if there is someone who's never heard us and they not really much of a music person or they're just passively hearing this on a radio show in bloody france or something when we've done this you know random media when we're touring it's a good thing to quickly explain to them who we are, you know, rather than some abstract micro term that we'd probably prefer to use. Like, um, I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, it has its time and place. It's just sometimes it can be a bit fatiguing being the eighties band, but. No, a hundred percent. And Monty, I wondered like when you started uh, client liaison, obviously you mentioned earlier that 
Prince and Fleetwood Mac, you were listening to those kind of bands. Did you have it have someone that you wanted to be similar to or a band you were looking up to where you were that's the kind of music that you wanted to 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 be like? Not in particular. I mean, I always like preferred to write things than replicate. So a lot of people learn to make music by, you know, playing music, by playing other people's songs and that kind of thing. So, yeah, we, I mean, we were just it, we were into doing our own thing and using references, you know, uh, referencing things from the past that, you know, you hadn't seen for a while and couldn't be put into a new light. There was, you know, in terms of labels, there was like at the very start a lot of people would use the term joke band, which was sometimes difficult, but I think as we grew and we could, you know, afford slightly better clothes and, um, you know, a slightly bigger show, we were taken more seriously and we were always having fun and a lot of our video clips are kind of funny. Uh, you know, there's a, there's definitely a, an element of humour to all of the media we create, but um, in general, like, we take it very seriously. And I think when people would come to a show, they would go, oh, wow, this is real, this is serious. I thought this was all a joke. So it was kind of nice, that realisation, seeing that on people's faces. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd imagine it would be. Um, and I, I guess the 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 other part of that is we've we've spoken to a few people on this last season, which was you know Ch- uh, Charlie Turner from Jurassic Five and Chris Franz from Talking Heads. They both kind of said about the difficulties there is to writing music during this time. And I know it's been mentioned before um, in some of your interviews that you've done how hard it is to write songs and jam over Zoom and Skype. I wonder, is there things that you found easier than you thought you would uh, and things that you found harder? Some things we were already doing. We were writing some lyrics over Zoom before COVID and because lyrics, I think lyrics can work because it helps that over Zoom or phone, one person speaks at a time and so you're very conscious of whether your idea is worthy or not because sometimes when you're writing lyrics together, everyone's just throwing all these ideas around and your head's just like catapulting in multiple places and you can't think straight. But for things like melodies, you know, writing a melody over a groove, like that's just so feeling-based and time-sensitive, you know, feeling the time, like the groove and the melody sticking together. It's like just that was quite difficult. But in general, uh, we wrote a bit of our last album over Zoom, and what worked was the the, the very genesis or the end, because the end can be quite particular. Like when you're mixing, you're deciding the level of a snare drum or how much hi hat or you know very minor details, and you don't always have to be in the same room, and so you can check in and out, and yeah, just work by proxy in multiple places. And and you mentioned that groove. Do you, you, you do you need to you kind of need to see each other to feel that groove you're talking about, don't you? I mean, well, you can send what you're working on and then go, okay, cool, let's check in in a second. I'll write a melody and bring it back. But it's just not the same. Like being in the same room and feeling it, and when you're like, oh, that's the that's the hook, you know, like we're trying to find the main hook of the song, that killer melody hook, and you're like, yes, that feels right. And everyone's like, no, no, sing it again. I mean, there's so much communication happening that you don't even realize what what's going on that when you're on zoom and you're like okay well let's just check in in an hour it's like okay where are we 
uh, you would have a lot of friends in in music as well. Do you think there will be a lot more music coming out in 2022 or 2023, like a lot more kind of, well, just a lot more content uh, released? Very much so. And uh, there's a layer between us and this media content that's the algorithm that is unknown. And, uh, yeah, it's just sort of, it's just this unknown. I think a lot of music's going to come out, but, you know, I might not see it. It might not get serves to me. It might go to another pocket or I might stumble. Yeah, I just feel sort of subservient to the this all, like the benevolent dictator of the algorithm. So I'm kind of just sort of any sort of strategic thought about sort of where culture and music is moving, you know, I feel like it's just a farce and it's just futile to discuss it because it's like at the end of the day, there's in between that thought and the reality of seeing any media and music online is just the AI brain on servers in Silicon Valley. So, yeah, that we can't compute. It's just like, too much. Yeah, so it's just sort of like you close your eyes and just let the algorithm do its thing is what I what I say. Put yourself out of the misery of trying to think about how what culture is going to be like because I think like the culture is the algorithm, you know. I, I, I'd like, I just thought it'd be great if people like, because there's such complex things. I mean, I guess I've been doing a reading, a bit more reading about it, but like, you know, every week, every day, Facebook are tuning it, which are, tenu- are attenuating it to attenuating so you know one week well like i remember when cats blew up facebook became cat deal you know so it's like certain things get they just like blow up and they have to tweak it and i just think it's the same like spotify and stuff they're just sort of like there's just this algorithm between us and the music so you kind of know that you're getting force fed it in some ways you know the cambridge analytica documentary that came out where you just know that there's certain things that are getting thrown your way well it's just like you know in the 90s they had that like which we laugh about now. We often make jokes as that 90s construct of selling out. And it's like, you know, the corporate-ass manufactured boy band plastic culture, you know, you know, like I'm doing a caricature of that, <laughs> that perspective. But that's kind of like that mentality is how I feel now about the algorithm or the algorithms. It's kind of just like, you know, some yeah, some people rise to the top and stuff and it's just this sort of like, whoa, it's beyond me. You've got the algorithms and then you've got the need for that social interaction. And Monty, uh, you know, you're talking about that that groove and what people are, are going to need to feel. And people after a, a crazy 18 months or two years or whatever it is, it's, you know, people are going to need to be in the room and feel that. And I wonder, do you think it's harder to create the music that you both create to, to that kind of get up and dance uh, do you think that's harder than the kind of slower rhythmic songs that you might hear from other people? I, th- I think it, uh, upbeat, positive music comes quite natural. It's quite natural to us to make that music. Yeah, I mean, I actually think it's quite hard to pull off a ballad. You know, you slow things down and all your errors are on display, so to speak. I mean, something that, tr- like, you know, transcends gravity and just gets everywhere you know gets into everyone's ear is is not an easy feat and often when you're writing uh, music in a major key and and it's happy it just sounds cheesy so yeah it is hard but um it's different for everyone I guess 
Yeah, and I mean, you're, you've got your, uh, you know, after five years, I think it is as a, as a band, you've kind of releasing your second album, Divine Intervention. Oh, and More 10 years, Daniel. 10 years? Yeah. There yeah. you go. Coming up to our 10th year anniversary of our first release, yeah. It's even crazier. Is there anything you've learned from the first to the second? This one took longer. There were more stumbling blocks along the way. So it was kind of the first time that we got to, like, take it in, so to speak, and go, oh, hold on, this isn't just an endless wave of momentum. Come on, keep going, just release more, the next thing, the next thing. You know, it's like to take pause and also collaborate with so many different people definitely opened my perspective to music making, um, that there's just so many possibilities out there and you don't always have to say yes to everything. And Harvey, was it was it was it the same for you? Was it quite nice to have that downtime over the last two? Well, not down downtime, but at least that reset mode for for the last kind of eighteen months. Very much so. The, the first half, uh, year of lockdown was great, and the second year not so much. Yeah, it was. Loved the first part. Didn't like the second part. <laughs> and when you when you're writing uh, the the album that you've that you've kind of you're going to be releasing or you've released what is the process of the album like for both of you how do you bring different inputs together and how do you merge those together well you know it's trying to get the best songs across the line really so we've wrote a bunch of songs that didn't make the cut so you know typically I'd, I'd bring a groove a bit of music and Monty would bring lyrics and melodies and we would collaborate often with other people in the room on sometimes do something from scratch or pull up a drum beat or something. So you, you throw around the ideas and you throw the, you know, uh, the so they say you throw the shit at the wall and see what sticks. But <laughs> I guess compared to other bands, you know, sometimes we hear people, oh, bands say, oh, yeah, we wrote 100 demos and then, then pulled it down. We are probably a less, <laughs> oh, yeah, like our, our output rate is, is considerably less slower than that. But um, it's really just sort of writing the best because the nature of our sound is quite varied. I mean, you know, we have a certain elements that are in our DNA, like, you know, dance and upbeat elements. But loosely speaking, if we write a great song, no matter what genre it is, that's all we care about, you know. So, like, yeah, be it a ballad or an upbeat song or something, we just want to write great tunes. So. And you mentioned there as well, like in terms of like the the amount of songs that you have to that have to get to. Is it true what they say that sometimes some songs can take thirty minutes and some you really need to sit longer with? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's often the genesis of a song is very quick. It can happen in like three hours, and you've pretty much got like a verse and chorus, and it works. But then sometimes it just takes forever. Like the arrangement doesn't work. The you can't get the second verse. There's a lyric missing in the chorus, so it doesn't make sense, and you're just labouring over that. Or, or you can get lost. You can at any point you can always get lost in production. As much as you want, you can get lost in the sound of your drums or the vocal take. Um, so you know, and that especially corresponds to us. We spend a lot of time mixing and doing vocals over and over again. 
And Monty, you mentioned about the, the, the 10 years as well. How far ahead do you actually and behind do you look? Do you look back on things that you can do better and then look forward to where you want to get, where you want to be? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, they say comparison is the thief of joy. So, um, you know, hopefully you're just in the moment creating, but of course you're not. You're always, you're looking where you were, where you came from and where you want to go. But, I mean, in general, you just want to write better songs, want to songs that connect, you know, connect far and wide and with more people, you know. Like the real thing is uh, one of the earliest songs written on this album and that I just remember that feeling of, oh, this song is like this song can connect with kids and, um, you know, older people. This is awesome. Like this is just what we want to do. So, you know, you, you, your brain gets sparked when you're like, oh, I'm connecting with a different population, you know. I'm, I'm like this is like a new new territory for us, you know, but it makes sense, you know, on our narrative, on our journey. That makes total sense. And, and Harvey, for you, do you, do you want, your band to have like a 30th anniversary or greatest hits album or do you think it will change and morph into different projects as you go through oh i think there's something a bit old timer about that like i mean if you're phil collins or or david bowie then great you know you can do you do all that kind of stuff but you know we're, we're an indie band from australia so when you start doing like the you know the 10 years it starts to be a bit like oh like you know you're getting a, like <laughs> Getting a few grades, that is like, I, I don't want to, uh, yeah, I'm not, don't want to start doing those little milestones. Like you've got to, I think, yeah, it just requires, requires a, f- a few more hits on our, on our behalf before we, we put ourselves in that arena. But um, yeah, well, as Monty said, it's just about wanting to write great songs, more great songs. And, and is there, is there kind of an, any artist alive? that you would love like if there was someone that you both like love uh, in the music industry that you if 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 it was your kind of dream person to join the band is there anyone living that you would just love to to have join you full time oh Kevin Park from Town Parlor <laughs> I don't know um not particularly like no, maybe I mean, a, a DJ to um, you know, do the scratching. Yeah, <laughs> do the scratching like, yeah, like a waka waka waka, waka, like the percussionist DJ. Um, uh, yeah, it's that's a you know, it's a big question. No, it's, it's not like okay. Um, no, there's not many people. Um, every, yeah, we kind of don't really because we're kind of in our own world. It's, we don't really. Like I've got some like friends that I just really appreciate, love their music a lot. Like um, Flight Facilities, you know, always speaking to them, and we've got other friends like in bands and stuff, and we really love being friends with them and having that kind of sense of community with them between the Oz music scene and stuff. But you know, there's not really anyone um, who we'd want to sort of bring into the band. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Probably, and, yeah, probably not. And apart from kind of the obvious of music and fashion, what does what does downtime look for look like for you two? Um, what do you enjoy doing outside of that? Is there anything else that you can do outside of that because it just takes up too much time? We love snow sports, so we often try to tee up gigs 
in alpine yeah. regions, uh, Japan, New Zealand, the Australian Alps. So we love doing that. Harvey loves water. So he's always jumping in the water, scuba uh, snorkeling and swimming and boats, that kind of thing. But a lot of our, a lot of, we get a lot of pleasure from our work because there's a lot of elements, you know, there's music, video, fashion. It's a lot of performance. Yeah. And just, um, just wrapping up with the, with the kind of last question, is there anyone that you, Harvey, this is a question for both of you, is there anyone that you're really looking forward to see and play with when this is all kind of over and everything's open up again? I guess it's just, I mean, just seeing your friends on tour, that's the best part. Um, yeah, like flight facilities, just like seeing people backstage and that sense of community with the touring Oz music community, it's really, really fun. So um, who am I looking forward to? Yeah. Oh, is there anyone in particular? Hmm. I feel like because we've been um, all away for two years, everyone's kind of sort of, it's almost like, God, everyone's just looking around like saying, are we all still alive? Is everyone still here? <laughs> are we, if we still got our arms and legs, you know, when you're, not that I've been in a car crash, but the first thing you kind of, are my legs still there? Are my arms still here? Sort of that's, that's how I guess I might feel when we get back to the festival circuit. But, um, yeah, who do we want to see when we get back, Monty? I mean, flight sillies because oh. we're close to them. But um, I mean, I just want to see that. I just want to see fans. I want to see people losing themselves, you know, that ecstasy, that ecstatic energy, the festival punter that's like covered in mud. You know, two days deep, just loving it. That's what I, I miss the most. I think people have been wound up so tight that when we do actually release them into the wild, there's going to be some pretty mad parties that are going on. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Monty, Harvey, it was great to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time and um, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. This episode of the 212 Podcast was edited by Podlake. We provide expert editing and production for podcasts and content creators. Find us at podlike.online.